Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Coming up on today's program, a returning guest joins me in studio to talk about the Texas Tuition Promise Fund, but we start off with a new group to the show. Michelle Kinder is the executive director of the Momentous Institute. How are you doing today? Just great. Thanks for having me. All right. So we have figured out that we know a lot of different people that work in your sector, uh, and I've heard a lot about you from a lot of different people, so I'm glad that you're finally here. Me too. Before we kind of dive in, we've got we've to understand the basics. What is Momentous? What do you guys do? Perfect. Uh, the basics were a 97-year-old nonprofit. We're devoted to kids and families, and our vision is social-emotional health for kids so they can achieve their full potential. We play that out through three core programming focuses. How about foci? Should I say foci? No. Foci? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have I have developed a lot of new words and phrases on the show over the years, so you know what? You're welcome to add. No, we're going to go with areas of focus. Focuses. <laughs> um, education, mental health, and then training and research. Hmm. Okay, so... Do you guys, do you spread them evenly across those three, or do you feel like you have a main focus and the others kind of are supplements to that? Oh, great question. So mental health has been our longtime focus. And so if you kind of looked at sort of our core, I would say mental health is our core. Okay. We work with 6,000 kids and family members a year in that program directly. And then our education efforts are definitely in a, kind of an offshoot of that. And they started in 1997 we began this lab school for kids growing up in poverty. So it's three, year, three years old through fifth grade. And then we launch them into 60 different schools. But our research team keeps following them to see how they do. And we're seeing a 97% graduate high school on time, 82% go on to higher education. And then we continue to track them to see how they're doing. Those long-term studies that track kids, I find those fascinating because there's not a lot. I mean, they've done it a lot, but there's only so many that have really stayed with them for a long time to see what those results are. So how long do you guys track these kids? Through college. so Starting at what age? Three years old. Three years to college. Yes, and they're with us. So we get tons of data from three years old through fifth. And then 6th through 12th, we have yearly interviews with the families. We get some forms filled out, and then we also get their school records. And then in college, we have access to a database that lets us know, are they enrolled? So we end up getting you know less and less depth of information, except for uh, the ones who stay in touch with us or who come back to us for a college scholarship, then we have a lot, lot more depth of where they are and what they're doing. And Are you tracking a broad base of kids, or is it kids that come from a disadvantaged background, let's say? Yeah, our focus is really cracking some codes around how poverty impacts kids and their ability to achieve their full potential, how it literally changes kids' brains, especially when poverty and trauma are linked. Mm-hmm. And so we exist to serve that population. So that's that's really who we're following. Do you guys farm this information out to other people to analyze the data, or do you do that in-house? Our research team is in-house. We have partnerships with several universities that kind of help us extend our capacity, but our research team is in-house. It's a, it's a huge part of our commitment to the community. Was that always a part of Momentus, or is that something that has kind of developed? Because that's a completely 
separate thing from almost a lot of the other things that you do. They're incorporated. Yeah. But I mean, that's a that's a huge undertaking by itself. It really is, and it and it takes an organization kind of playing the long game. Like it takes an organization saying, "We're going to invest in data," so we move beyond our intuition, yeah. and we look at ourselves, and we're just in constant growing mode, constant learning mode. And we it also takes an organization to go, "All right, you're 97 years old." You have the incredible support of the Salesmanship Club of Dallas. How are you going to leverage that? Like that whole dilemma of how are you going to get your output to match your blessings? And for us, that meant moving away from a stop the bleeding mentality Mm -hmm. to a change the landscape mentality. And you don't change the landscape without data. Is it hard to get people to understand that? Because like what you're saying is, is like instead of putting on a Band-Aid, you're trying to make sure the accident never happens. And for some people, that might be kind of hard to visualize because a lot of charities and nonprofits, are you hungry? Here's some food. Are you right. thirsty? Here's some water. You're not doing that exactly, right. but what you're doing might be more important than that. It's, all of it's so important. Like we need all of it, but our niche has really become matching that direct work with families learning everything we can from it, researching it, and then sharing it out across the country. How many kids have you tracked? Do you have, an, uh, do you have a number on that? So we have, uh, so it's, it's a small school. It's 248 kids and then uh, 32 graduate each year. So we have about 200 kids in our 6th through uh, 12th pool at any time and then college age. So it's, you know, it, it's growing over time, but mm. it's not like, say, in our mental health work, 6,000 people a year. It's a different scale, but the depth of work we're doing um, with our school families is is significant. How do kids and families get to be a part of that? Yeah, so it's first come, first serve uh, at our school. The biggest reason we turn people away is they make too much money because we really exist to serve families that qualify for free or reduced lunch. Mm. But other than that, we balance for boys and girls, siblings get priority, and then it's date and time stamped applications what where do you guys serve uh, are you based in are you based in dallas is it the whole metroplex where you get people to come into the school how does that work yeah great great question so we are in north oak cliff okay. and we um our school families are about a three to five mile radius but they could come from wherever and then our therapy families do come from wherever we um don't ever turn anyone away for an inability to pay. Over half of our therapy team is bilingual. Um, we're low barrier. We're strengths focused. So a lot of people come to us for mental health work um, that that are having trouble getting their needs met anywhere else. And sometimes that means driving. What was the third prong that we were talking about of attack for you guys? Education, mental health. Was it training? Yeah, research and training. Okay. Yes. And so that folds in. So that research training arm folds into the education stuff that we're talking about, about tracking these kids. Is that uh, true? True in that it informs us, but it's really bigger than that. So um, we learn everything we can from what we're doing in the school also tracking. We learn everything we can from what we're doing with our families in therapy. And then we engage in deep partnerships in the community and offer different kinds of social emotional health training. Um, This last year, we ended up working with about 10,000 professionals from across the country in one way or another offering social emotional health training. 
Okay. Wow. It's a pretty big footprint. All right. So those two, like those two organizations within the organization, kind of work together, but they're 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 just kind of feeding off of each other and using what they've learned to help train others. Yeah, it's almost like um, you, your point about how it feeds off each other. That's really part of our DNA, and it's one of the ways we push ourselves. Mm. Because we believe that you don't solve intractable problems within a discipline. So if educators are only talking to educators, mental health professionals are only talking to mental health professionals, we're going to keep seeing uh, solutions in a box. It's when you cross-pollinate different professions and different disciplines that light bulbs start kind of going off. And so um, we talk a lot about working at the intersection of mental health and education. And one could argue we're at other intersections, too, like we're at an intersection of direct service and research and training. Uh, we're at another intersection with the business community being owned and operated by the Salesmanship Club, golf, and then family family work in the community. So we're, we're trying to get all these disparate lenses and push our thinking about what's possible by creating a safe place for like almost like a, a playground for people to solve problems that don't feel solvable right now. It sounds like you guys are really working on bridging the gap between all of these worlds, that you're that yeah. you're that intersection that's going to make these two worlds meet. And they're always they're always touching. and They're always working, but they do remain separate. So you guys are really all about making sure that these worlds interconnect and make sure they learn from each other because they will benefit. Right, right. Okay, all right. Exactly, and kids will benefit. Like children and families will benefit if we're conceptualizing their place in this world in a holistic way. So that at our school, social-emotional health is as prioritized as academics. Our therapists are thinking about their the child in front of them in the context of how are they doing at school, at home, wherever. So we're just trying to keep children, their families, the issues they're facing in context, because we find that when you narrow, um, people get one-dimensional and solution maneuverability and solutions are much harder to grasp. When you keep things 3D and you chase the why, then things start illuminating that you maybe wouldn't have access to. That's hard to do, though, because a lot of organizations that I talk to, and I, I've mentioned this a lot lately because it keeps coming up, but... The more laser focused you are on an idea, on an idea or a purpose, the better you are at achieving that goal. But it sounds like you guys are almost backing away from that and making sure that you're able to stay fluid, and that actually helps you to achieve your goal. It sounds unique to your organization. Would you say that sets you apart from from other organizations that are in your sector? I really like the mentality of like figure out what you do well and pour into it. Like I think that's super sound. For us, what we do well is complexity um, and bringing together different disciplines. Where we're laser-focused is on children's well-being. But anytime you get into that sort of ring, um, if you're going in with an innovative mindset and sort of that, um, that uh, growth mindset, then you, you start uncovering layers and what looked like a behavioral issue is a trauma issue, and what looks like a trauma issue is a racial injustice issue, and what looks like a racial injustice issue is an environmental issue. And so you start unpeeling the onion, and if you're committed to children's well-being, every time you think you're upstream, 
you learn more and you go, oh my gosh, there's contextual issues even further upstream that if we ignore, we're still going to be in the business of Band-Aids. Is that your background? Do you have a background in, in peeling back layers, as they say, or, or looking at things from, from a multiple, it's almost like a mathematical equation that you guys are trying to approach this stuff, complex math. Yeah. Is that where you, where you come from, or is this something that you have learned? Um, it's definitely in the DNA of the organization, but I, I think there are pieces of my background that make me a fit for it, and then I grew up in Guatemala, so I had that sort of third culture kid experience where there was never a way to do something and, you know, look left, look right. You have people you love who, who have really different ways of handling situations and that shaped me. Was um, it, were you there for service? Like with your, why were you there? Yes, my parents are very service oriented. They were there like 36 years as missionaries. So really? just... Uh, that so this is in your like you know this world. Into, this is in yeah. your bones. Yeah, definitely that like show up for your community, be more invested in contribution than personal achievement. All of that, like I just had a front row seat with my parents. Wow. Okay. So how long have you been with Momentus? Nineteen years. Really? Yeah, I've been in this role five, um, but I've been at the organization. How, what, did you, what did you start out doing for the, the organization? My very first job, I was part time school counselor and part time family therapist. And then have done several different jobs along the way, and and after nineteen years, here you are running yeah. the ship. Does yeah. it feel good? Do you like it? Oh, I I love it, and I I am not a stay somewhere forever person. Neither are my colleagues. Like we all are sort of driven by how do you are you learning and are you contributing, but that the place is so dynamic that every year my job's been different. Even if my title hasn't been different, I've had a fairly significantly different job every year and a lot of that has to do with the salesmanship club so this is business leaders texas business leaders well it's a it's excellent segue you've got a you've got a career in radio perfect segue because (laughs) we do need to these two organizations are one are they together how does it work because we have momentous institute and then we also have the salesman and then I, I'm just trying to figure out how yeah, this works. How so what leads. is that relationship? Yes. So it's different corporations, but we're all one team. So the Salesmanship Club of Dallas is a corporation, and it's a group of business leaders, um, all volunteers, deeply committed to each other and deeply committed to the community. You join, you're in for life. It's that kind of group. Mm. Um, and they own and operate Momentous Institute and have since 1920. And then our chief fundraiser is the AT&T Byron Nelson, which they also own and operate, which is super unique, too. At some point, we ought to have John Drago, who's our tournament director, come visit with you as well. I would love that. Well. Absolutely. Because it's really it's remarkable to have a, a golf, a PGA golf tournament run by the people who also approve the budget for the organization where the money's going. Because they'll do any job in order to make sure we have the biggest bottom line. And I bet a lot of people don't even realize that the Byron Nelson is connected to a charity. I don't think right. that most people, I've lived in Dallas for my whole life, and I didn't really understand that until very recently. It's true. It's it, A lot of people don't know. And part of that's because years ago, the mentality was don't talk about it unless you need referrals. And we never needed referrals. And the salesmanship club members are so humble. They didn't want credit. Yeah. And so the shift that's happened is uh, sort of a, okay, we don't want credit 
and they don't want credit. Staff doesn't want credit. Nobody wants credit, but we want to participate in a movement. And if you're going to participate in a movement, you got to talk about it. And if you've marinated in this work for 97 years and you've figured some stuff out and you're holding it, is that okay? And we said, we decided it really isn't. Um, And the things we think we know over the last four or five years when we've become more externally focused have, have been shaped by the light and air of conversations with other people. So even though we figured a lot out in 97 years, in these last few years, what we've learned is exponential because new eyes, new questions, new ears, uh, new partnerships, all of that has improved what we know. So is this what you have tried to achieve as executive director? Because we're talking about a lot of changes in how you guys process this organization uh, with the Byron Nelson, and you've been executive director for five years. Right. So was that is, is that kind of what you're trying to push this organization into? Has this been your initiative? It's really been collective. It's been a collective vision, board-led, club-led, and it came because they looked at, do we open more schools? Do we open more therapy centers? And what is the state of children in our city and in our country? And when they realized that, Best case scenario, if we focused only on direct services, maybe we double and serve 12,000. And that's important, and every one of those people are important. But in terms of truly changing the landscape and the amount of need Mm. and the sense of urgency, they said, you know what, that's not how we're going to grow. The way we're going to grow is through research and training and leveraging this direct work so that we can help far more kids than we would ever serve directly. And so I, you know, I'm one of many boots on the ground figuring out how to execute that, but it's really been a board and club vision. Are are there other PGA tournaments that are connected to charities the way that you guys are or is this unique to Momentous and the Byron? It's unique. There's a lot of PGA tournaments that give their money to charity, but they don't exist to fund one particular charity. Um, so this is a really unique recipe. And wow. you feel it. You feel it in the sure. DNA of the tournament. It's um, it's all heart. They are so driven by the kids and families we exist to serve. I, I saw on the website, which is MomentousInstitute.org, that since 1968, when you guys teamed up with the Byron Nelson, you've raised over $155 million. Is that That's correct? That's correct, yes. And that goes all back to Momentous and the stuff that you guys do. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So the Salesmanship Club has raised $155 million through the AT&T Byron Nelson in those years. Is this a national organization or is this a Metroplex organization? You know what I'm saying? Because you think of $155 million, that sounds like a worldwide industry to me as opposed to something that's working locally to better the Dallas and Fort Worth area. Right. So how do you guys view Momentus? Is it a local organization or is it a national one? Right, right. So our direct work is local. Our research and training efforts are national. And many of our training efforts are local as well. So I think it's like 84% of those 10,000 work right here in the DFW area. But in in 2017, geography boundaries 
feel artificial to us. Like mm. we, we want Dallas to be as good a place for children as it is for business. Like that's one of our sort of like, why is that not happening and how can we participate in that? But if we can learn something from, say, our partners in Memphis or our partners in Georgia or by going and we're, you know, participating in a conference in D.C., then we're going to do that because we feel like that then allows us to do work in Dallas that we wouldn't necessarily have as textured a view of if we didn't have national or even international partners. Michelle Kinder is the executive director of Momentus Institute. Once again, their website, MomentusInstitute.org. Big budget, big organization, been around for a long time. How large are you guys? What is, how many employees does Momentus have? We have over 100 employees. Our budget this year is $13.2 million, and um, most everybody's full-time. Um, lots of different disciplines, teachers, therapists, researchers, trainers, and then all the people that make that work possible, like your operations team and your finance team, development, communications, um, just an extraordinary group of people who, I'll tell you what stands out. If you come there and you're not about the kids and families and the actual change, you don't stay long. That The group of people that has kind of come together are about change for kids and innovation and it's the salesmanship club has created this environment which has come to be unusual now in the nonprofit and education worlds where they say things like um you know if you can't fail that's not worth doing so it's this like environment almost like a entrepreneurial environment in the nonprofit world so the people that end up being attracted to this work Mission driven, but also like hard charging. Yeah, uh, you know, like let's do this. Like, shark Tank. It's it's very it's a little Shark Tank. It's a little like, uh, you know, mistakes every day. Every day something's happening that I'm like, whoa, <laughs> and and nobody's held accountable around that. You're held accountable around sloppy mistakes, but if you make mistakes that are connected to your passion, your innovation. Where the accountability comes in is how you're going to show up in the face of that mistake. But if we're not making mistakes, then my my and others' mentality is then we're not being good stewards. Uh, is the sense of urgency requires a pedal to the metal mentality around these situations that are creating tremendous pain for kids and families. So I'm not looking to have like a perfectly buttoned up organization where nothing where the wheels never come off. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're always presenting perfect everything t- to the detriment of us creating real change fast. You guys are finding strength pushing through problems as yeah, opposed to exactly. feeling bad about them. That's right how you guys kind of operate. Right on. Let's talk a little bit more about the mental health stuff that you guys provide because you're providing different things. What is there a main focus? Is it all for kids? Is it for kids and family? Is there a certain area that you guys kind of run through, let's say? Yes. um, Children birth to 15 and their families. A lot of our families are experiencing trauma, um, often generational trauma. Almost all of them are dealing with poverty. Um, A lot of school problems, anxiety, depression, 
Um, is it the normal stuff things. that a kid would experience in a stressful situation, or is it almost, let's say, event-related? This thing happened to a person, and we're going to help them therapeutically through that, or the normal stresses uh, uh, that a kid would go through in these in mm-hmm. these hard situations yes. that they, they could kind of you know cripple them. It, it which what are we looking at, or is it both? Yeah, it's both, both and. Um, so sometimes families will come our way because an event happened. Um, sometimes just the daily toxic stress creates a situation where kids can no longer function at home or at school. So they're imploding or they're exploding Mm. and the people around them are like, why are you defiant? Why are you so angry? And you peel back the layers and it's actually like, oh, your mom went to prison last week and you don't know if you can stay with your aunt and you know you start getting the contextual factors and you're like got it this that looks like defiance is actually strength that kept you alive and now how do we funnel it to be more pro-social so you guys are providing therapeutic and education services to six thousand kids and family members per year how do most of these kids come into the care of momentous yes so most of our therapy families it's word of mouth We also get lots of referrals from schools, children's medical, other nonprofits. Um, Lots of providers who have insurance limits will send families to us who have severe trauma because they can only work with them, say, six sessions or ten, and we can work with them until the work is done, Um, which is really important with kids who have trauma because you can imagine if you get in there, you work for six sessions, You open the trauma up, but you don't have time to kind of help them make sense of it and put it back together. Then you can actually do harm. Yeah. So we've got to have options out there for families where it's the therapist and the family that are making the decision of when the work is done, not some random third party. Let's talk about volunteer opportunities and how people can get involved if they want to take part in the services that you provide. You've got a huge staff, but I'm assuming that you guys still use a lot of volunteers for different functions at Momentus. So if somebody wants to be a part of, of Momentus Institute, what would they do for you and how can they how can they volunteer? Yes. Um, if they'll reach out to us via the website, we can help figure out how to plug them in volunteer-wise. A great opportunity to volunteer is through the AT&T Byron Nelson. In addition to the 600 what we call red pants, affectionately, the salesmanship club members, there's a 1,000 blue pants. So those are volunteers from actually internationally that come and spend the week and work the tournament. But you can also come and work a day or whatever. And it's so fun. It's a community. I heard yesterday we have some volunteers at the tournament that have been there uh, 40 years Like this is a committed group that comes back and back and back. So that's a really nice way to plug in. And it's going to be an extraordinary year for us. Uh, First year moving to Trinity Forest Golf golf Course uh, from the Four Seasons and Irving after having been there 35 years. So we need extraordinary people to join in that effort and help us make it a wonderful transition. Are you guys excited about that move? I mean, that's a big deal. The Byron's been in the same spot, I think, since its inception. Since for 35 years. For 35 years at least. I'm not a golf historian, shockingly. (laughs) Um, It's been there for a long time. uh, And now you guys. Kids in trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you guys guys are making the move, so it's got to be exciting. It's exciting. It's mixed because we love Irving and our partners in Irving 
were the best you could ever imagine. So yeah. we had a wonderful tournament this year celebrating those 35 years, record-breaking uh, year in every category, incredible goodbye, class act partners. And then now we're shifting our focus to transition and building new partnerships and uh, having some of our club members and staff that have been around a long time having memories of what it was like when we first moved to Irving. There was no Four Seasons. There was nothing There was around not much there, out there at all. Right? So this is almost like Groundhog Day of like another beginning and so many possibilities. And we're so happy to be part of Southern Dallas and everything Southern Dallas is working on right now. And um, Momentous Institute is looking at ways we can plug in close to the tournament site with different partners so that the community there feels us 365 days a year instead of kind of a swooping in for a couple weeks a year. Um, we, we, we being the tournament, the Sales and Show Club Momentous Institute, all of us are so invested in being a good partner to Southern Dallas and um, being part of a solution. So the Byron Nelson doesn't happen until May 14th, um, but you guys got something coming up very soon. On September 28th and the 29th, the 6th Annual Changing the Odds Conference. Uh, what's going on there and what can people expect? Yes, it's going to be so extraordinary. This is our annual conference. We have about 1,600 educators, therapists, mental health professionals, um, decision makers from across the country come together. We have two full days of keynotes. So we figure you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of time, you don't want to take the time to go to a coast for a bang-up conference, so let's bring the best speakers together for two days and give you a, an incredible experience. Hope is our theme this year. Um, Nick Kristoff is coming, Brian Stevenson, Christine Carter, and others. Uh, it's our It's designed to infuse the participants with kind of that burst of, okay, I've got my bucket filled. I'm mm. ready to go do this work for a year and also shake us up around what we think we know. And we feel like those are two pieces of the puzzle that should, should and must happen for innovation to happen. So we're trying to fill you up and shake you up at the same time. So the focus is, as you said, hope, the ultimate four-letter word, exploring the relationship between trauma and hope that is happening September 28th and 29th. Details on your website, I'm assuming, MomentousInstitute.org. Sure. We should keep talking, but unfortunately, we are running out of time. Let's just kind of run it down once again. The Byron Nelson, you guys are benefiting from that. That is happening at its new home, Trinity Forest Golf Course, on May 14th through the 20th. You've also got this big conference that is happening on September 28th and 29th. That's coming up real quick. Yes. Your website, MomentousInstitute.org. I've been speaking with Michelle Kinder. She is their executive director. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. It has been awesome. Thank you. You have to come see us. I'm going to do it. Do it.